before the water. It's always good to see that the Holy Spirit's at work to come to mention that song that my son sang. saying it's good to see you. Well, you know the old joke, it's good to be him, not him. Uh, though that would be better for me, but I'm glad I'm here with you uh, today. We're continuing our Lenten series on Lenten lessons found in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the end of the sixth chapter today. have a very familiar passage beginning at verse 25 and reading through the end of the chapter, I'll read these words for us. I hope you'll follow along in your Bible or your bulletin insert. This is where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All of you look extremely intelligent today. And so I have a a medical question for you. I want you to be the diagnostician. What kind of illness do you have? If you're experiencing the following physical effects, dizziness, dry mouth, rapid heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, an inability to concentrate, nausea, muscle aches, nervous energy, shortness, just describe the physical effects of worry or anxiety. Now, anxiety is not always bad. In fact, it's a somewhat normal reaction to stress, you know, the whole fight and flight kind of thing. But uh, that kind of anxiety should be short-lived. But everyone is in agreement that ongoing anxiety, from which 40 Some of us readily admit that we are worriers. We 
know it's not a good thing, but we can't seem to help ourselves. That's not the kind of life for you or me. Anxiety is not something that should describe the Christian, and we know that because of what Paul says in Philippians 4, when he says that you and I are to have no anxiety about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Have you ever read that verse in Philippians 4 and thought, how can Paul say that? Have no anxiety about anything. Well, Paul can write those words because of what Jesus teaches here in our passage this morning. And as we have all through this series, we need to keep in mind who his audience is. We know he's teaching his disciples, but at the same time, we also know from the beginning of chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he began to teach. He's speaking to an agrarian community. He's speaking to a community whose livelihood depends on everything going right. I mean, if you've ever had a garden, I don't think we have any farmers in this congregation anymore. We used to. But you know, if you're farming for a living, I mean, you have to have the right amount of sun, the right amount of rain. You have to have a lack of insects that are destructive. You have to have a lack of devastating storms that can wipe out your crop in one fell swoop. And these folks in Galilee would have also, as close to they were as the Sea of Galilee, some of them would have been fishing. And you know, when you go fishing, sometimes you catch some fish and lots of times you don't catch any fish. I think it's hard for you and me in the 21st century to understand where these people Most of us are not worried about where our next meal will be found. Or if we have enough seed grain set aside to produce a harvest next year that will feed our family for a year. But you know, there are plenty of other things we can and do worry about in this 21st century, and yet anxiety should have no place in our lives because as Sinclair Ferguson puts it in his little book on the Sermon on the Mount, anxiety is a symptom of spiritual sickness. I'm convinced none of us wants to be a worry. No one really wants to be crippled by anxiety, and yet so many of us are. And the good news today is that Jesus points us in this passage toward the cure for anxiety. It's not just that he diagnoses us. It's not just that he says, don't be anxious. He tells us how we can carry that out day in and day out. And he begins to do that in verse 26 when he says, look at the birds of the air. Or in verse 28 when he says, consider This word consider is a good word because it points us toward what Jesus is getting at here. We are to think, we are to meditate, we are to ponder the big picture. To think about God's creation and what He has done in it and how it 
wants us to concentrate on the big picture because so often when we worry, we are concerned about one little tiny fraction of our Paul's assumed answer there is, of course, he will 
give us all things with you. That's exactly what Jesus is saying right here in this text. Or if you want to think about it in these terms, Jesus, when he says, consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, he's saying, consider God's generosity. You remember in Genesis 3 how Satan got Adam and Eve to doubt God's generosity. They believed he was holding something good back from them because he had told them not to eat the fruit of this one tree. Many of our words find their beginning in this exact same suspicion. But they shouldn't because Jesus obliterates it right here in this text. But along with the need to look at the big picture, Jesus also wants us to take a closer look at words. He begins to get at this in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? What does worry do? Does it good or bad? Does it help? Does it hinder? I mean, with all of those physical effects we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, obviously, ongoing anxiety is a bad And so building upon his call to look at the big picture, Jesus is making the point here that uh, our lives are in God's hands. Think about some of the things that God has done for you. He has designed and created you. He has cared for you all of your life. He has brought you from death to life in the good news of the gospel and the grace and told Jeremiah, before you were born, I consecrated you. You and I have a purpose as well. He will empower us by His Holy Spirit to fulfill our purposes, and when that is complete, He'll call you home to Himself. Do you see the point here? Why worry when God Almighty has your life in His hands, this one who has created the world and, and whose power sustains it through Jesus Christ, as Colossians 1 makes clear. As I spent five nights in the hospital this past week, there were a lot of people who were concerned for me and a lot of people who prayed for me. Many of you, which I appreciate, lots of congregations and different congregations were praying. There were some who thought I was too nonchalant about the whole thing. But I had a real peace about it. And truthfully, I was not worried whether some clot was going to go to my brain or to my heart and take me out of this world. Because I believe strongly enough that the number of my days 
God's going to do His work in my life, and then when that time comes, He'll take me from this world when He comes back. All of that is His business, not mine. He knows what's best for me. And you know, it just sort of brings us to that point where we have to remember that we not only believe on the Lord Jesus, but we have to believe in Him. You know, it's one thing to believe on the Lord Jesus for your salvation. It's another to believe every single thing He says in His Word. I don't always understand it all. I'm not always faithful to all. But look at what he says in this text. God will take care of you. As Sinclair Ferguson puts it, it's only when we want to take our lives out of God's hands and have them under our own control that we find ourselves gripped with anxiety. You see, the secret of freedom from the worry is freedom from ourselves. And this is part of the reason why Jesus says the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? Set you free from sin, yes, but set you free from yourself. Set you, set you free from the worries of the world. He's talking about the truth of the gospel, especially meaning the love of God in Jesus Christ for you and me and His willingness to, to die on the cross and, and break His body and shed His blood for your sins and for my sins. That's what sets us free. We have that freedom when our minds know that God can be trusted to supply every single thing we ever need and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But not only do we take a look at the big picture and at worry and what it really is, but we also need to remember who we are as kingdom people and what our function is in life. And we find that in verse 33, or part of it. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, Jesus is doing several things here. One is he's contrasting kingdom people with the Gentiles, with the pagans, with those out in the world who don't know anything about God and could care less. They spend all their time seeking after these things. Eat, drink, be merry, that kind of whole philosophy. Just think about how many advertisements you see in our society today geared toward food, drink, clothes, these simple worldly things. But that's not our focus. Instead, we're to seek first the kingdom of God. We're not to run after the things of the world. We're to run after God. And remember what the psalm says in Psalm 43, as a deer longs for flowing streams, 
so long as my soul endures. You see, Jesus points how foolish it is just to seek a gift while it's food or drink when you can go out and seek the giver himself. But in speaking of the kingdom, Jesus is not only contrasting kingdom people with worldly people, he's also pointing us once again back to God and to his sovereign rule over all of creation. You see, the entire Sermon on the Mount is predicated upon the fact that a sovereign God rules and that his ways are perfect and that his purposes will be brought to fruition. And in yielding to his will, we carry out his purposes as his people. To quote Ferguson one last time, when our hearts are set on his righteousness pervading our lives, we have our priorities in order and we'll discover two things. First of all, with the word wisdom. When he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It seems to me this goes back to how Jesus taught us to pray, or at least the truth behind it. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, remember he said, give us Give us a year's worth. Give us this day our daily bread. It's one day at a time. And I know that's a cliche, but that's scripture. Isn't that what God was trying to teach the children of Israel? With the gift of manna? What did he say to them? Gather how many days at one time? One. One day, if you get three days' worth, it's going to spoil on you. I want you to learn to trust me one day at a time. We meet today's challenges with today's strength. Through the, the years of ministry, I've often heard people say, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to do when such and so happens. You know, sometimes they're thinking about their spouse. I just don't know what I'm going to do when they die. The answer here is that Jesus will give you what you need in the time to come. He doesn't need to give it to you ahead of time. It's as simple as that, and it takes faith to believe it. As one person put it, the key to overcoming worry is to learn how to utilize God's strength to accomplish what is set before us today. Because today's accomplishment is tomorrow's loss. Now think about it. 
think about that. Today's accomplishment through God's power is tomorrow's lesson. Isn't that one reason why Scripture tells you and me to remember over and over and over again? If you know worry is a problem for you, think back to the big picture. Look around and take note of what God has done and then say, Because you see, giving thanks, it seems to me, giving thanks and worrying cannot coexist. If you're worrying, you're focused on yourself. And if you're giving thanks, you're focused on God. You know, as a young adult back in the 1980s, going to conferences and camps and retreats at Bob Carlin, one of the songs that we used to sing up there was a, what sounds like a simple little song. It's called Give Thanks. And yet it's a very profound song. Because in the chorus of that little song, we used to sing, and now let the weak say, I'm strong. Let the poor say, is founded upon what He has done for us. What God has done for us in Him and the power of the Holy Spirit. He is our King and Master. He's our provider and sustainer, the one who has given us this kingdom life, kingdom priorities, kingdom values through which we can truly be thankful. And the Apostle Paul understands this so well. That's why he can tell the Philippians not to be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Paul says, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Love 